1: Thanks, dude. Yeah, man. Those new hat you got? Yeah. And a new hat got a, you know, this is the, uh, I think this was my Father's Day flannel or maybe it was my Mm. Christmas flannel from last year.
0: How do you turn the corner to embracing the portion of style within your persona where wearing hats are acceptable at all times? You've done it. I don't there know. is no situation where you could walk into or someone would be like that's so
1: rude that Ryan 2 would be wearing a hat mm-hmm. they just assume that you're going to yeah I mean I'm I'm partially hat and partially not hat but the reality is Coulter and you already know what the answer is to the question is I'm so great looking it doesn't matter what I'm doing with what I'm wearing or not it's gonna work you know it's gonna work if I got a hat on if I don't <laughs> if I'm at you know church funeral wedding show out in the world. I can do whatever I want to do, and it's everybody's going to like it, you know? It's uh, the general approach I have to my life. My father reached this
0: point in his life, but often it's because he had the cowboy hat thing. Guys. Yes, he did. But the cowboy hat, you, you get with the cowboy hat no matter what. Cause Chuck's the cowboy hat guy. Nobody's going to tell the cowboy to take his hat off. Yep. That ain't happened. No. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Uh, I used to be a hat guy, and now I... I'm not, and I don't know what happened. Yeah, you wear hats from time to time. No, I do, and but when I wear hats, people are—they uh, obviously assume you're in a casual situation. And, and, you must yeah. be going to the bar to drink, or, or a- and or and just you know going to hang out yeah. with Ryan's kids or something. You know, <laughs> That's right. like I couldn't get away with this wearing a hat. And like when I have worn a hat on this show, probably like ten times, and people will, like text me and be like, "You skip work and go golfing today? Maybe." <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I uh, I don't know, man. You know, sometimes you got to wear a hat. Well, that's a nice-looking hat. Appreciate that. Man, it's uh, just your maroon
0: pants try
1: to you like so got, much. Got the color. I don't have the maroon pants on today.
0: When are we going to start teasing the coolest thing we've ever done? Not yet. Okay. Stay tuned. Coolest thing we've ever
1: done. Coming up soon. It doesn't have to be doing maroon pants. I would like to put this out there, though, as a PSA since you brought it up. Because this hat is a maroon hat. This shirt is blue and white and... Cranberry. My pants are green for the radio listeners. Now, you know the whole ensemble. My shoes are great. Um, I have I have I have a rotation of clothes which if you matched pants with shirts in as many varieties as there are you probably get up to about a baker's dozen. I probably got three pairs of pants and I got about six shirts whatever that combo is that 18. Is that how you do it? You multiply them. I don't know. Okay. All I'm saying is I have been in people assume in this state and I understand, right? Blue and yellow, Montana state maroon as it happens to be today, incidentally, uh, and gray, you know, Montana. It's impossible like, here's the thing. I've worn red shirts, straight red, like fire truck, fire engine red shirts. People are like, well, you, well, you rooting for the Grizz? I thought you were a member of the media. No, no. I'm wearing a red shirt. I'm not doing anything. I have <laughs> I have a couple of hats. If they're not Packers hats, I think I got three hats that are not Green Bay Packers hats. This um, is one of them. It's maroon.
0: Our ESPN hats and gear is all Black and red, just traditional red, black and red. What it is? So I was wearing my ESPN hat on Saturday because if you didn't notice, it was freezing on Saturday morning. It was cold when we were broadcasting outside. Yes, and I can't tell you how many people were just throwing shade at me in the press box. Why are you wearing that Eastern Washington hat? I'm not. I'm wearing an ESPN (laughs) Missoula hat.
1: (laughs) Why don't you take it off now? It's the game. Well, because my hair looks horrible. The press is in this situation where we get. We we catch the flack, but all it is is a mirror to yourself That's out there. You That's you can, you can think we're doing whatever we're doing, but all it is is an indictment on where you and where you're coming from. So don't sit here and start My first girl.
0: live TV shot from a road game was after Montana State won at Eastern Washington in 2011. I did a live hit with... What well, used to just be ABC, now it's the SWX guys. But the former uh, guy, Jeff Everly, we did a hit on the field, just real quick, you know, analysis. I was wearing a baby blue shirt, so no colors associated with Montana State or Eastern Washington. But it was an American Eagle brand shirt, so it had an eagle logo right here. And we got a letter to the editor at the Bozeman Chronicle saying, "Why did you hire a sports editor who roots for Eastern Washington? He's wearing an eagle shirt on TV." People get a grip. Anyways, <laughs> thinking of, speaking of people that need to get grips, uh, how about the Montana State Bobcats? We went off on the Cats yesterday time. for Spent about an hour time. and 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, we were paraphrasing a lot of what Jeff Choate said in his press conference yesterday. And you mentioned that it. I thought it was... Um, Revelatory press conference. I thought it was uh, a very honest, as is his customary fashion, press conference. I thought he took a lot of accountability, but I also thought it was a very proactive press conference. I thought that he intentionally expressed accountability to stay ahead of the tough questions. Most of the tough questions were answered before
1: he could even, before, before they the question be session began. Yep. Well, here we go. We have uh, a fair amount of sound for you uh, from Jeff Choate. So we're going to roll through a few of these things. This is, again, from his press conference yesterday, uh, 48 hours after their loss uh, to
3: uh, North Dakota, which brings them to 2-2 two and two in Big Sky play. Here's Jeff Choate on the second half. Second half, I just, I just think there were so many things that we could have done better, starting with me as the head coach, in terms of, um, you know, getting us into better play selection. Um, Utilizing timeouts to get us into out of bad play selection, you know there was just so many things that were uh, available for us. And then you know in a game like that, it's going to come down to four or five plays. And I, you really got to credit them. I mean, they made those plays. I mean, even though we didn't field the punt, that punter put the ball down on the one inch line. Okay, and that was a huge play. Uh, we didn't protect well, but they made a play. And that's what we didn't do. We didn't go make plays. Our playmakers didn't make plays. Okay,
1: a couple things in there. First, I want to start about. On one hand, he you know he says that's on me, hundred percent takes accountability. I didn't check us into plays that I should have, and maybe I didn't take a timeout in a spot or two to check us out of plays that we needed to be out of. But is that also not a a bit of an indictment in whoever is playing calls that you were in a bad play or you know not in a not in a good play in a particular situation. I mean, is that that part of what he's trying to say here? Is that, look, it's on me for not getting us to where we needed to be, but also we weren't where we needed to be.
0: Well, it's very clear. Bryce Sturk said on the record after the Sacramento State game that they were not lined up right on any third down. They did not have the right play call in. I think some of that goes to credit to Troy Taylor for staying a step ahead, and some of it goes to... Can I own for being a step behind? And I think that Montana State it's accentuated even more on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that their their play calling offensively has accentuated their lack of diversity.
3: diversity. Here is Jeff Choate about the offensive challenges. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm a genius offensive mind. I think what I understand is defensive football better than offensive football. So when I have suggestions, it's based on the style of defense that we're playing. And so through the course of the week, I have sidebars with our offensive staff, our defensive staff, with BJ. Um, This last week, quite honestly, I spent... Much more time on defense, you know, and uh, coming off the Sac State game, off the bye, that was an area where I didn't feel like we were playing with the right edge, and uh, devoted more time to to that particular side of the ball. Um, But you know, that's still going to be. I I, as I tell Matt, you know, I'm 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 making suggestions. I'm not making demands during a game unless I tell him, hey, we're calling this, and so that's what I try to do. Is you know, you can always tell when a guy a, a play caller when a play caller is struggling for a call. It's easy for me whether it was. I or Kane now, it was easy for me on defense. Go to this. Go to this. Go to this. I can help those guys because I've done that. And on offense, it's got to be, you know, I think that's where uh, we have to do, starting with me, a better job of helping Matt. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, I mean, that, again,
1: like you said, very honest, very candid, and and clear. I mean, he spent two weeks, or the majority of two weeks, including the bye week, working with the defense. And he's very comfortable defensively. That's where he comes from. And guess what? Montana State played a a really good defensive football game.
0: Oh, no doubt. I mean, if you give up less than 21st downs, 316 yards of total offense, 2.3 yards per carry in the ground game, only 60 total yards rushing, you win the takeaway battle, and you give up less than 50% on third down, you should win that game almost across the board.
1: But then this is also the double-edged sword of it. He promotes Matt Miller last year. And when Matt Miller took over from that point forward, it was night and day how much better the offense was for the Bobcats last season from that moment till the end this year. uh, It has been, it has been really good actually at times in, in the run game. And it has also been faltering borderland borderline just flat out bad at other times. And if If Jeff Choate isn't the guy who's able to, in the moment, feel comfortable about going, hey, offensively, this is what we need to go to. This is what we need to go to. And Matt Miller is a young guy, a first-time coordinator, a first-time play caller. Where does that come from if it starts to go sideways? And clearly on Saturday, that was the issue, and there wasn't an answer to that.
0: There's never been an answer. That's their whole issue. I mean, they're on their fourth offensive coordinator and their fifth quarterbacks coach in four years. It doesn't matter if any of those guys are genius offensive minds. They just don't have any foundation built or any continuity when it comes to that.
1: Here is uh, Jeff Choate
3: talking about playing not to lose. Uh, you know, it stings, and it's tough, and, uh, you know, we can control what we can control moving forward. we got to not listen to outside noise, you know, stay focused on what we've got to do to improve. Um, I really felt like we did some of the things we talked about going into the bye week on defense, and I think we started to do that on offense, and then as the game got tighter, you could almost sense that it was like, let's not screw this up. You know, we're in a close game. Let's not make mistakes. you gotta, you got to play to win you got to play to win. You can't call games or play games not to lose. And that's been my message to our staff and to our players moving forward is that, you know, um, no matter what, you know, these guys are going to respond how we do. And if we tell them and show them, really not tell them because words are meaningless, but show them that we believe in them, we have confidence in them. And when plays are available, let's call that play. You know, let's not, you know, you know get kind of pushed into a box. And Now, by the way, just as
1: a radio guy, words are not meaningless. Take great Hilarious no. that one of the great
0: orators of any form I've ever been around says words are meaningless.
1: No, I mean, he, context, of course. I, he, I, you, of course, understand what he's saying. Like, you want to be there, be an example. When he says, you know, when the game started to get tight, felt like we called plays, but also players played offensively, not to lose, not to mess this thing up. I want to go back to spring training, fall camp, spring training, fall camp for uh, uh, this football team, Coulter. Spring football, yeah. Yeah, but 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 particularly fall fall football, both really. The number one issue, it seemed like, that was being had when there was a hot and heavy quarterback battle going on between Casey Bauman and Tucker Rovig is that both of them were playing with a fear of mistakes. Yep, That they didn't want to be the one who made the mistake and then all of a sudden ended up in the backup spot because they threw the interception. But also, the flip side of that is that how are you going to make a play if you're not, you know, again, taking care of the football, but you, you, there's a risk-reward, man. There just is. Not every football you throw. In fact, in this sport, at the Division One level. Most footballs you throw are just going to be two blatantly wide-open receivers. And so how does that translate? You got no interceptions thrown, but you also got no touchdowns thrown, and you averaged like five, under five yards of reception. Yeah, more like three. That's a little more. Like
0: 13. 13 completions for 77 yards is 3.2 yards per completion. That's three, three times 13 69. So you're eight yards short of that. So
1: three times 13 is 39, But Sorry. You're right. Okay. It's only because I've been teaching Doing math. math it's only because I've been teaching math to the kid. Put kiddie. that in the mashup. In any case, point B, but still, I mean, you're talking about five, f- five yards of care, uh, five, five plus yards of reception, whatever. Point is, thirteen receptions for seventy-seven yards. It, it's not even. You're not even ahead of the sticks, but this, and this, on, this on, is, on your per pass attempt. I just wrote this in my
0: know? in my first look that we're putting out on Skyline Sports. I just wrote this statistic: Montana State is averaging five point six yards per rush and six point three yards per pass completion. That's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible that you would even throw the ball at that point. I mean, this is what we've already said, right? Why would you throw the ball 26 times if you're getting almost as much production in the run game as you are in the pass game? And, And again,
1: that's per completion. The per attempt is like three. Coulter, you have a business, and your business is based in the World Wide Web. Indeed I do, so I'm on my computer all the time. And if you're not online, you're not making money, and it is important to make sure that you're online and secure. Am I right? Absolutely. Got to be cyber safe this day and age. Well, for you business owners out there, whether you have an online business or a brick-and-mortar business, it's still running through the web. We all know that's a fact. And in today's Always On World, your business demands a simpler approach to network security.
0: At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to the endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across the state of Montana.
1: They do. They're keeping everybody cyber secure and ensuring that businesses run the way that they need to across the state.
0: So ensure your company's network is online all the time.
1: For more information... Visit goblackfoot.com slash business. That's goblackfoot.com slash business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with Blackfoot. I want to go
0: back to what you just said, the the fear of failure. I think this has been the thing that has just clouded the entire quarterback situation from the offensive coordinator through the quarterback's coach through the play the players playing the position mm-hmm. is the fear of failure. And in the the sweetest or sickest irony you could describe, the only dude who Montana States had taken snaps under center who wasn't straight petrified of making mistakes is Chris Murray. Mm. I don't think Troy Anderson was, but he was never operating like a quarterback. He was just yeah. getting the ball and just running you over. Yeah. I mean, that, Chris Murray, though. Say that's what you want what, about Chris Murray. I mean, imagine if Tucker Robic yeah. just had Chris Murray's confidence. Yeah. He's twice as good of a quarterback, even just if he's the exact same operationally. To me, when I watch Robic, oftentimes he makes some throws that are cringeworthy, and you're like, man, that's terrible. Wow. Yeah. But a lot of times, it's mostly just the fact that he never seems like he's got that confidence and bravado. You know, and so much of that to me comes from the adults in the situation. These are kids. The adults have to empower the kids. And Choate said that. He said it's not about anything except for what we show these guys in terms of instilling confidence in them. But I think it's a real factor because when you watch the way that Tyler Brugman, Casey Bauman, and Tucker Rovick all have operated, they've all operated like the, exactly what Jeff Choate just said, like they're playing not to lose. But here's the
1: other thing. Jeff Choate is who he is, okay? And, and uh, you and I, I think, both like Jeff Choate you know, personally, and love the way he goes about it in a lot of ways. But Jeff Choate is not, you know, touchy-feely, warm fuzzies. You know, he's not Dan Hawkins. He's not Troy Taylor. He is, he's an intense defensive guy, okay? So he can be as encouraging as he wants to be and so forth, but the reality is if you're an 18, 19-year-old kid, you're standing there and, and Jeff Choate is, you know, watching you do what you do. There's an element of pressure that exists in virtue of nothing other than him being who he is. And that's not bad. It's not right or wrong. It's just a fact. You know who else is really intimidating to stand there and have to perform in front of? Bobby Houck. So why can Dalton Sneed do it? Because Dalton Sneed has the personality and the the, the person type to go out there and go, we're going to war. We're going to go do this. And he, he's and, got the and he has
0: a veteran offensive coordinator who was a Heisman oh, finalist all once of upon a time. All of that. Here, the thing that's crazy though is that so many people wanted to scrutinize Montana State's play calling and their offensive inefficiencies when Courtney Messingham was the offensive coordinator. Courtney Messingham just went and hung 48 on Oklahoma last week as Kansas State's offensive coordinator. Courtney Messingham's doing just fine, back-to-back national titles at North Dakota State and now at Kansas State, and people wanted to burn I mean, Bob Cole was the scapegoat last year. He only lasted eight games with the Bobcats, but Bob Cole made Jordan Lynch a Heisman finalist at Northern Illinois. I'm not trying to speculate or anything. All I'm saying is the fact that the problems remain the same, even though the subjects are different,
1: sometimes somebody's got to look in the mirror. Well, but here's the other thing that I think it is, Colter. We asked this. You're going to hear a great roundtable with Chris Chidovisky tomorrow. We also have said we've we've been on the record a number of times with this about uh, uh, with Travis DeCure. and it's like, how do you motivate kids? How do you get kids to do what you want them to do? Oh no, no, no! You don't. You don't teach them to do that. You recruit the guys, the players that can do that. And what I'm telling you is, if you went to practice. And you watch Tucker Rovert sit back and throw the football. You'd be like, "Well, yeah, of course he should play. He's six foot four, whatever. He can sling it. He can throw. He can throw a great ball. He can sometimes." That's the point, though. Like if you sat there and just watched him throw, you'd be like, "Oh wow, yeah, he can throw a football." I, I and just... he looks no, no, no. But but he looks like all of those things. Sure. But the reality is, is that when it's actually put in place, and he's standing back there. He's playing apparently out of fear. You cannot do that. He's playing out of worry, out of attempting again not to lose, to, to to not make. Instead of just going out there and going, I don't care what happens, let's roll. You know, and 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 I don't. You know, again, I think it's. I think you recruit that. You don't teach that. And if you don't have that, especially if you're the head coach of the persona of which Jeff Choate is, I think. I think that is. It's hard to overcome.
0: Man, we could just talk about this for so long. This is such a fascinating topic. But I, I also think that what do we say, like when Bob Stitt was recruiting all these six foot five, three hundred and twenty-pound offensive linemen, if you're six five, 320, and you're going to the FCS, you have some serious deficiencies. Mm-hmm. It's just like first of all, the six foot five plus quarterback is one of the most overrated things in football. You there's very few Carson Wentz is out there, and there's way more Brock Osweiler's and Mike Glennon's and, you know, the list of guys that are over 6'6", that have played in the NFL, there is not a great one among them with the exception of Ben Roethlisberger and Carson Wentz. Besides that, not really any 6'6", or taller guys that have just completely lit it up. Most of them have been overrated because of how big they are. And that's accentuated in, when you're that tall, why you go to the FCS if you're I mean all I'm saying is all all the best dudes in the big sky right now are six feet tall. Jake Mayer is six feet tall. Eric Perry is five eleven. Davis Alexander, who the Grizz are gonna see this week, who I think is one of the more overrated, underrated guys, excuse me, in the league, five mm-hmm. eleven. I don't know, man. I, I guess that if you if you just recruit off a prototype, you have a chance to really uh maybe be blinded by some
3: Measurables and overlook some intangibles. Some more from Jeff Choate. I mean, at the end of the day, hey, here's the deal. I'm the head football coach. When when things don't go well, that's on me as the head football coach. And that's
1: and that's a fact. But it also isn't just. It's not just about one game. It's not just about oh, it didn't go well in this game and this on me. It, that can be. But it's also about how the whole thing is put together. And I think that I think it's put together well but flawed, if that makes sense. Like there, There's a lot of things that Jeff Choate has done, in my opinion, that have been outstanding in the way that he's gone about building it to what it is.
0: But, but, it- but what, what, th- That's the whole thing, though. When you have a terrible first season and you make people believe that the program was broken, at what point do you have to look internally? Montana State made the playoffs four out of five years, and then they had a five and six year that got Rob Ash fired, and then they were worse multiple years in a row. Mm-hmm. So what has he actually
1: done? They haven't been worse multiple years in a row. They were worse, worse. the year after. I see what you're saying. Worse and then than then they, the were, ash- they were, they were, they had
0: the same record, but mm-hmm. were worse. I mean, the 2017 team had a five and six record, just like the 2015
1: team. But the 2015 team would have beat the 2017. But team. here's the thing: is that people buy, and I, I do buy that the, he's changing the entire way that they're trying to play football. I mean, he's trying to build a program in his image that is a defensive run-first, not-throw, obviously, football team. And it is going to take time to get that in there and to have a defense that isn't giving up 52 points in a football game. I mean, that sure. that is... And, and to make that shift, it, it is... It, is, it does take time to do
0: it. It does take time to do it. My whole thing is that there's been so many revealing things that have happened in the last three weeks that it's completely changed my thought on the entire thing. I advocated for the run-first style more than any other person that analyzes this stuff in the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I said on this show that I thought they could get away with running a no-quarterback system. I really did think that before guys got hurt. But now they've reached the point where they're... They are struggling so bad with just simple operation. They lost a game by four points and had two timeouts in their pocket and got a delay of game inside the last two minutes. How is that possible? That has nothing to do with culture or anything besides straight up, do you know what you're doing on Saturday? Mm -hmm. You can't have two timeouts in your pocket when you're down four points and get a delay of game in that
1: game. You can't do it.
0: Let the wingate by Wyndham in Missoula make you feel at home, even when you're not.
1: ESPN Missoula Sports Center. Montana bounced back from its first ever FCS loss of the season, a 49-22 drubbing at Sac State, to post a 34-17 win over Eastern Washington Saturday in Missoula. That victory throws Montana up two spots to number eight in this week's Stats FCS Top 25 poll, one of three Big Sky Conference teams in the top eight and one of four in the top 14.
0: Montana State fell 16-12 to at North Dakota and consequently fell five spots to number 14 in this week's poll. MSU has now lost two straight games with a bye week sandwiched in between a home defeat to Sac State and last weekend's disappointing misstep. In the middle of the second season, playing an in FCS at, at independent, UAD, moved into the poll at number 24 this time for the first week.
1: Weber State effectively ended UC Davis playoff host with a 36-20 win uh, last uh, weekend. WSU moves up one spot to number three in the poll.
0: Behind a season-high 100 76 yards rushing from junior running back Elijah Dotson. This week's Big Sky Conference Offensive Player of the Week, Sac State, posted a 38-14 win over Cal Poly. That victory moved the Hornets up one spot to number six. Sac State hosts Weber State in a pivotal Big Sky Conference showdown on Saturday.
1: And finally, tonight, game six of the World Series. The Washington Nationals attempt to extend the series to a game seven in Houston. Strasburg versus Verlander. First pitch, 608, right here on ESPN Radio. This ESPN Missoula Sports Center is brought to you
3: by Aspen Sound.
1: It's that time of year, my friends. It's when the fun begins. You want to make sure it's fun all year and that you don't get any trouble out there. In the wide world of snow. It is to tell in two 1029 ESPN radio, broadcasting live from the Kurtz Polaris studios. Kurtz Polaris at 2904 West Broadway in Missoula Highway 83 in Sealy and online at KurtzPolaris.com. Um, happy to have in studio with us from Gold Boats, Joe Rector, uh, going to talk to us about the annual Avalanche Awareness Seminar, which is happening tomorrow night. Joe, hi, how are you? Thanks for coming all the way by over here. Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, we're certainly happy to have you here, Joe. And uh, the, the uh, Avalanche Awareness Seminar, I know, is something that's happened uh, over the past 10, 15 years or so, uh, uh, You know, more or less every single year. It's out at the Big Sky Brewery this year. But tell us about you know, what this is and everything that's going to go on out there tomorrow night.
4: Well, we try to sponsor, or shall I say, get some help, other help from other people. That's why we're doing it at Big Sky. And we're doing it at Big Sky for a couple of reasons. One, they've gone as far as to put in an avalanche beacon park mm, out back. Mm. So through the season, it gives people a chance to use the beacons, practice with multiple burials. Um, they've done a really good job with that park. The other thing they do is they bring in um, the Avalanche Org, the Western Montana Avalanche Org, on Thursday nights, and we go through forecasting. And they go out into the field three, four times a week in the mid- middle of the season They do pits every day. They see what the conditions are like, and they come and share that. And they don't just share it with us snowmobilers. There's also a lot of country, cross-country skiers that show up too. Mm. It's really good to see that. I think they call it beers with your forecaster. (laughs) That's what Big Sky calls it. I mean beers with just about anything. Seems like it works. Right. Sure. And that's the main reason I kind of want to you know do this with Big Sky is because they're working so hard as well to help promote this idea of safety in the community.
1: I'm a
0: big-time skier, so I'm, I'm familiar with these sort of uh, clinics and, and the equipment. But I think that one thing that I've seen throughout the years is so many people think you just need to buy the equipment. You don't need to know how to use it. And if you don't know how to use it, it doesn't yeah. work. So tell people, why is it so yeah. important to learn no, this stuff?
4: That is the biggest thing. Is Yes, uh, we will go through some of the equipment, or Mike Duffy will. Um, we'll go through uh, some of the beacons, the difference in the beacons, the difference in the airbags. Um, and difference in shelves, believe it or not, there's quite a difference in some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and he likes to go through that with gear. You can bring your gear if you'd like. Um, I don't know if we're going to have a lot of time that night to go outside in the dark, but that is part of something he likes to do with the crowd.
1: Two-tell new on 1290 ESPN Radio. Joe Rector joining us, talking to us about the Avalanche Awareness Seminar. It's tomorrow at Big Sky Brewery, 6 p.m. out there at the brewery, uh, if you're interested. You mentioned, Joe, Mike Duffy going to be out there as the speaker. Who, he, who he is, is Mike, and what is he going to uh, what is he going to have for the folks that go?
4: Well, Mike Duffy's kind of got a colorful history. He started off working in Colorado on a search and rescue team, and after he and three of his buddies had to go recover a couple of bodies, and that was back in 92, 93, he decided that wouldn't it be better to spend our effort and time in helping to train people to not be in these situations, mm-hmm. to know the conditions, hey, it's not safe here today, let's go play over there, know how to use the tools to get people out, because back then, it really was body recovery. It wasn't being able
1: to save anyone under the snow. How there- much does it cost to go to this? Well, this is a free clinic. How do you like that, boys and girls? <laughs> Zero dollars is what it takes. You go out there, you learn everything from an expert. That's a, that's a great deal likely a science element to this, too, right?
0: Well, yeah. Um, This kind of a thing we try to do as a freebie. Now, they have
4: other classes that Mm -hmm. can be done on the snow. Mm -hmm. And Mike came to town and did two last year. We've got another group, uh, Rocky Mountain Writing Lab, and they came in and did two or three last year. But those are classes where you actually go in the snow for the day, if not two days. And the two-day one is
1: not for the week at heart. No, Mm. you go out and spend the night in the woods. Uh, RSVP is requested for this. It's it's free. You can show up, but it'd be great to know how many are coming and how many to prepare for, right? How can people do that?
4: Um, The best way is probably either give us a call at Gull or go to uh, Go Boats and R-V website. We have a sign-up right on there. Uh, Not a big deal, but, yeah, we would like to have a pretty good headcount.
1: Well, we know in uh, western Montana and uh, Montana in general, it's a big recreation state and it doesn't stop when the snow falls. In fact, it can pick up when the snow falls. Well, we
4: all live here, so you right. got to do something in the wintertime. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. we all got to
1: recreate, so but, this is just a good chance to learn a few things before you go out there. Tomorrow night, Big Sky Brewing, uh, 6 p.m., the Avalanche Awareness Seminar. Joe's going to be there. Mike Duffy's going to be there. You can bring all of your gear out, by the way. Check you know, you can check, make sure it's it's all set up and ready to go, and find out if there's maybe something that you might be missing or the next advancement in, in products and things like that as well. There's going to be a lot of booths out there and everything like yeah, that we'll as well, have, right? Yeah,
4: uh, we have BCA out there as well with all of their new stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Western Montana Clinic uh, or Avalanche Center, they'll be out there as well. We actually have a... Uh, BCA vest that's got the bag on it that we're raffling off. I mean, $5 tickets. I mean, very inexpensive for an $850 bag. Yeah. So, yeah, buy a couple of tickets. All the money goes straight back to the Avalanche Org. That's why we do this, to help
1: support them. Well, fantastic. Tomorrow night, uh, if uh, something you're interested in or if it's something that, you know, you got family members that, that do and stuff like that, it's a great thing to be at. Make sure that what is supposed to be fun stays fun and stays safe, especially when you're out in the uh, in the backcountry in the snow this winter. Joe, really appreciate you coming by. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, guys, for having me. Quick break. Bobby How. He's got some thoughts. We'll give them to you next. I'm talking talk about the Montana Grizzlies, Tutel, is 102.9 ESPN Radio, broadcasting live from the Kurtz Polaris Studios, Kurtz Polaris, 2904 West Broadway in Missoula, Highway 83 and Sealy online at kurtzpolaris.com. And uh, we will be doing the word of the day for the Keg and Raider giveaway, uh, so stick around for that. If you want to find us on social media, at Gus Tutel, that's yours truly on Twitter, at Skyline Sports MT. that is his truly on Twitter, and at 102.9 ESPN, both on Twitter and Instagram. What a deal that is. So you can go follow us all around over there and uh, make your life better on the internet. Uh, Coulter, we talked about Jeff Choate. Time to talk about Bobby Houck and a couple of comments that he had about uh, uh, the quarterback situation in the game coming out of Eastern Washington. Here's what he had to say about Dalton Sneed's status, short and sweet.
3: Dalton will uh, practice either Wednesday or Thursday this week, and and we'll see if he's ready to go. So,
1: and again, we talked about this yesterday, but the fact that he will practice uh, is is uh, obviously good news for Montana fans, and um, I, I I don't think surprising. I mean, if you listened all last week and everything, felt like probably he's going to be closer, certainly to you know maybe even likely to play this week. But when you saw him on the sideline, you go, oh wait, boot. Crutches like the whole thing, or we is this all coach speak? Are we even close? But if he says that he will practice Thursday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, then you know we'll see kind of where we go from there. That said, Cam Humphrey was more than serviceable for Montana on Saturday. Here's what Bobby Houck had to say coming out of that Eastern Washington game and pay attention, particularly to his last comment about playing with a backup.
3: Certainly, that was a good win for our team. Uh, we beat a team who had played in the national championship game a year ago and had uh, 16 senior starters. We beat them with our backup quarterback. So I uh, think that shows a lot of progress for our football team. It was, it's
1: sort of interesting the way he goes about it right there to me. I mean, that that was very deliberate to say it like that. And obviously what you're saying is, hey, so a team that was in the national championship game a year ago and we just went out with our backup quarterback and won in one handily. So that's fine normally, usually, it seems to me that coaches in this situation go, really impressed with the way that such-and-such played, really proud of how he helped carry our team along, whoever that backup quarterback is, not emphasizing the fact that he's the backup, a.k.a. clearly not as good as the starter, and therefore the win is that much more dramatic that we were able to make it happen. I mean, that is sort of an interesting, stark, coloring of the picture to express, you know, the the level, I guess, of happiness he is with the way, with the win and the way in which Montana won it. Do you, are you, am I reading too much into this? No. I think that... Let's hear it. I know what you're I know what your uh, your mind's uh, scrambling I, uh, over here and you got so much to say today.
0: I, I just I think that Bobby Houck wanted it to be abundantly clear to Eastern Washington and everybody else in the league that they beat them even without their best player.
1: Right. He's he, he Look is how good we are. Look how much talking. better we are. That's right. That's right. But he, I guess He the, also
0: like got asked three different questions about Cam Humphrey. W- you said, What did you think of Cam Humphrey's performance? He said it was good. Yep. That's it. What what stood see? out about it? He was good. That's all he said. He, he said played, nothing.
1: He uh, played well. Play, yeah. Played pretty well. Correct. And and he 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 went out of his way to not talk up Cam Humphrey. And that's okay. Like he he didn't go out of his way not to say, you know, to say anything mean about him, of course, but the point is, once again, it's all about this team, and also, specifically, it's all about how much better this team is than you, and it doesn't matter who you are. S- coaches, part of part of being a college head football
0: coach is to, to preach your vision, promote your program, talk about what it's about, what you want it to be about, what you know it will be about. There's a lot of really good talkers in the Big Sky Conference right now. There
1: is. Dan Hawkins tells a better story than Disney, as Bruce Barnum would say. Yeah, Bruce Barnum tells a better story than Disney, as Ryan Tuttle would say. Uh,
0: I would, uh, I would. Bruce Barnum, by the way, will join us tomorrow. I listened to my our interview with him from uh, a little over a month ago to preview Big Sky Conference play uh, last night, and I was just crying laughing. It was just so funny. He is so funny. One of the best
1: interviews we've ever done, and it had nothing to do with you and me.
0: It had nothing to do with Portland State either. We didn't even ask him about his own team, really. Yeah. We asked him about, like, the state of playing football at Portland anyway, State. Anyway, he'll he be ask, out with us
1: tomorrow. It'll be great.
0: But what I'm, the point I'm getting at here is that I think that every coach, I think that there's some coaches that just want to believe what they say. They hope and pray that what they say comes true. I think there's only three coaches in the league that not only believe what they say is true, but know it will become true. And that's Bobby Houck, Jay Hill, and Bruce Barnum. Mm-hmm. Bruce Barnum's in a completely different category because Bruce Barnum is kind of the redheaded stepchild. He's the, the, the at the program that the whole
1: program is. They have yes. no
0: resources. They ride a bus to Cal Poly for God's sakes. Like the the it's a whole different level. He's playing Division One football on a shoestring budget, and they're still figuring out a way to win games five and four. But Jay Hill never minces words, and he straight up puts his money where his mouth is, and they continue to win games at Weaver State. And I think that what Bobby Halk is doing, he's not much one for the eloquent press conferences or the rah-rah-rahs, but he makes sure that he gets his point across. And to me, he's just trying to reemphasize the intimidation that used to exist for the Grizzlies. He wants, he wants that lingering feeling to return, and he wants it to be ever-present,
1: not lingering. Let's contrast this with... Jeff Cho talking about him, his confidence.
3: You're not the team you were last year and uh, I I have, conf- I have a, a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence in our group. Okay That's a different
0: way to go about it is just to say it straight out. How um, has said the same thing about this team though. He says I like the way our guys compete and I love the way that they want to finish. I love the toughest that we yeah. have in the second half. He's talked about that frequently.
1: And uh, I think a lot of times, look, he, these coaches, you you have to learn the language. You have to learn the language they speak in order to understand what they're saying. Bobby Hawke isn't going to say what he's saying with actual words. He's going to say what he's saying with uh, intonation, with the inflection that he uses, and with often what he doesn't say. Whereas Jeff Choate is going to tell you straight out everything that's on his mind just about every time. And and neither is the right or wrong way to go about it. It's a matter of, of personality. The the thing though that is that is conveyed is win, lose or draw. Bobby Hauk is sitting here unequivocally telling you this is what we are and this is what's going to happen. Now the downside of that is is that it's a brittle. It's a brittle branch that he's sitting on. Because if it doesn't happen, you you haven't even made for a possibility of of maybe there's a team out there that's better than you are. Or maybe you have some distance to go to come back. Last year, he did. Last year, he spent a lot of time tamping down expectations, say, hey, we're going to get this thing to where we want it to be. It's going to take a little while, but we will get there. This year, you haven't had any of that. This year, it's... We just beat... The, the national runner up with our backup quarterback next. And that brings us full circle
0: to this discussion about Dalton Steed, because I think that the uh, ever presence of Bobby Hawke's confidence in his team centers upon the fact that he really does think he's got the best quarterback in the league. Now, where does that leave Montana if Dalton Steed can't go this week? Weaver State is the number three team in the country. They've shared the Big Sky title each of the last two years they made it to the playoffs each of the last three years ironically or maybe separately I think that Montana is would be better off with Cam Humphrey at quarterback against Weber than they would against Portland State because of the unorthodox look that Portland State's going to give you the flex defense is really really complicated it's really hard if you've never seen it before Dalton City was red hot coming into the Portland State game last year he rushed for 208 yards against Sac State, had almost 450 yards of total offense in a, a game where Montana scored 41 points and the Grizz were riding high. And then the next week, Dalton Seed looked awful against Portland State. The Grizz offense looked awful. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what sort of experience Cam Humphrey has against that defense. Probably little to none because hardly anybody runs it. But the way that the defense, so uh, so much about football is, the, is pre- and post-snap looks now, right? Are you showing one high or two high safeties? Are, are you showing your hand in terms of coverage? Are you disguising your coverages on the back end? Who? How many guys are in the box? Who's the Mike? Who's the Will? Who's the Sam? The reason the flex is so confusing is that the Sam linebacker and the Rover are interchangeable. So sometimes you might have an eight-man box with four linebackers, But two of those guys are essentially playing safety. But then also they could essentially be playing edge. But then they also could shift into the middle and essentially be playing the inside linebacker spots. And now you got the inside linebackers coming off the edge. The look is unpredictable. And it's why they can confuse you so much because the pre-snap look doesn't lead to the post-snap operation, like it does with so many other defensive schemes. And so that's why I always talk about... And I, I got egg all over my face again on... Monday when I tried to ask Bobby Huck about it, and I didn't articulate it well enough. I said, if the defense stays ahead, what makes it so challenging? And he's like, well, that's every defense in the history of football, Coulter. And I was like, well, yeah, you're right. I'm a dumbass. But <laughs> <laughs> I I, I wanted to more, more better articulate how confusing the pre-snap and I'm post-snap is. I'm
1: sorry. Is. I just got to stop you there. Please save it where he says more better articulate. Okay, now continue. I, I needed to be- articulate better. I'm sorry, man. I the,
0: couldn't help myself there. That was the confusion thing. that's caused pre snap and post snap. And right. I think that's the fact that Snead has seen it once and he has film of himself. I don't know if Snead can go. And I don't know if you want to play a hobbled Snead. And I don't know if you want to go to an unorthodox venue in a high school stadium in Hillsboro, Oregon, and risk further injury for Dalton. I don't know if you want to do any of those things. But I do think that if a guy's making his second career start is going to have a harder time against that defensive scheme than
1: a guy that even just has one game of experience under his belt. Yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing is that, that you know, they have to figure out different ways to do it. Th- Portland State is in an utterly different context, but analogous to Cal Poly, where Cal Poly has yes. such academic restraints yep. on who and what they can find that they have to do things schematically and, and personnel type. Yep. As and where, a requirement and where, that no one else has to do. And so does Portland State. And where does this
0: flex defense come from? Arizona Wildcats? Well, but no, but Piat Saddam, who's the defensive coordinator at Portland State, was the defensive coordinator on Rich Ellerson's staff for 11 years at Cal Poly.
1: That's what I was going to say.
0: So, Cal Poly used to run the triple option and the flex. Mm. So, it used to be an even bigger Everything. bear to prepare yeah. for. <laughs> and when the flex, when Piat Saddam's offense was, or de, excuse me, defense was operating at its highest level in at the height of the Rich Ellerson era before Rich Ellerson took the Army job. Which then took, he took Tim Walsh with him, and that's where Tim Walsh learned the triple option to then rejoin Cal Poly. The guys who played the the primary, quote unquote, flex position Chris Gokong, who went on to play for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Kyle Shotwell, Jordan Beck, three straight Buck Buchanan award winners. If you got the dude who can be the flex, who can be that hybrid guy, who can be the edge, the inside linebacker, the strong safety, the rover, everything, he's moving all over the field, he's making all the plays that guy's going to be the most highly productive player in college football because of the positions that he's put into. Those guys had 150 tackles each, and they won one, two, three in a row different players, Buck Buchanan Awards, as an independent FCS team. That's where the I mean, that's how productive the dudes in the flex can be. The other thing that's unfortunate for the Grizz when it comes to this matchup is that the number one weakness of the flex is if you pin that flex guy in the quarterback run game. That's why Troy Anderson went wild. I mean, Montana State went to Portland last year, and Troy Anderson rushed for 215 yards. I think it was the second most yards in a single game by a quarterback in the history of the league. And Montana State didn't really do anything on offense besides just ride Troy Anderson. It's unfortunate that Dalton Sneed is banged up. Because that, even if he can go, that's not going to be part of the game plan. I, you wouldn't think.
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Here's my one question for you, quickly, Colter. And you touched on it right there. But if the flex is so difficult to prepare for, puts guys in such great positions, why is it? Why isn't everybody doing it? It's susceptible to the quarterback run the, and in- to what?
0: Well, susceptible to being gashed. If you don't stay one step ahead, you're one step behind, always. Like, if the if the quarterback and the offense is not fooled by the two flex guys that are moving around, you you're just leaving
1: yourself wide open. You destroy It's, it, it,
0: it's, it's feast or famine. It's a, it's a ghost-style defense. I'm working on... I've texted a couple guys I know that are former defensive coaches in the league working on getting somebody on to truly explain it because it really is super complicated. You don't... It's like my brother said I said explain the flex defense to me and he said you can't and that's the point.
1: Mm.
0: Hardly anybody knows how to explain it. Hardly anybody runs it. It's so intricate but it does have deficiencies too. I think that like so so why why don't you run it? Because you give up 41 points in the first half against Idaho State if they find the weakness in that specific way that they're flexing to your formations. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden, if the whole flex doesn't work, you have a a corner man-to-man on Mikey Dean or Mitch Guller, or in the Grizzlies' case, Sammy Akem or Samari Torrey, which could be an advantage for the Grizz. But you just can't. You have to find where the weakness is.
1: Mm. Sue Telling the Wants, 102.9 ESPN Radio. Hour number one in the books, hour two, straight ahead. We're going to get you set for playoff football. Wow. How about that? Already playoff football at the high school level. We will also give you the word of the day and plenty more of the world series coming up all that in the second hour.
2: Whether you're traveling to Missoula for business, a family visit, or to watch the Grizz game, the Wingate wants to be your home away from home. Call the Wingate to find out how we can take care of your next trip to Missoula. From conference rooms to great complimentary breakfast to an indoor water park, we have what you need and what you want when traveling. The Wingate of Missoula is a proud supporter of Grizzly and Lady Grizz athletics, and we look forward to making you feel at home when you're not.